Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, find the 26th chapter of Matthew, as we are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about what comes next. Now that is a question that can be a great excitement, or it can be a question that is asked in a time of great difficulty. If you've ever been to the doctor and heard the word cancer, you have asked yourself, what comes next? And the fear and the uncertainty of treatments and all of those things comes across very heavy. Maybe on the other side of that, you were at one point in your life uh, proposed to or did the proposing, and that person said yes, and the wife said, what comes next? Yes, wedding planning and preparation. And the father of the bride said, money. Lots and lots of money is what comes next. And when we think about our life with the Lord, the same can be true. I always like to see pictures of people on their retirement day because they're always so happy and they're always so excited and they've got their boss with them and they're all like, I'm so ready for what comes next. But I wish they would show those same employees at about year 17 on the worst day they've ever worked with and took the picture. I don't think it's probably the same joy that they have. You can see that with parents on the first day of school. They've got their kids dressed in their best and they've got these signs and it's first day and all this interesting stuff about them and, and someone's probably stealing their credit card number or social security number with all that, but they're so excited and the parents are excited. But I can tell you about day three, that excitement for parent and child is gone, right? Because it's been stressful and no one wants to eat breakfast and they don't want to wear matching socks and they don't want to wear matching shoes. And it's like, why do you have to act like your mother's side of the family, right? I'm just kidding. But what comes next? And for us, that can be very exciting in our spiritual walk. Maybe you have been saved and serving the Lord for many, many years, and you are at that point where what comes next for me? What does God want of me? Maybe you're at a point where that's very fearful, because what is God is asking you is terrifying. Next month, at 37 years old, I will be going on my first mission trip with Randy Stover. You say, well, you're awful old to go on your first one. It just happens that way. I don't like to leave the country. I don't like to be gone, and I hate to travel. And so going to Mexico was about as close as I could go to have a foreign mission trip. And so we are going. You say, well, Jake, I think maybe God is calling me to step out in faith. I would just like to throw out that maybe God is calling you to teach the three- and four-year-old Sunday school class. You never know. I never thought after 11 years of pastoring one of the largest Baptist churches in Illinois with my master's degree that that is where I would be. But I am having great joy until the Lord calls you to do that. <laughs> Lydia, my daughter that is in that class, said, Dad, would you teach me forever? And the dad in me wanted to say, Oh, you bet I would, dear. And the pastor in me said, Don't you lie to her. But what comes next for you tonight is the question I want to ask you. Maybe you're saying, Jake, we're at a very difficult point in our life and we're really worried about what comes next financially, emotionally. Maybe tonight you're saying, Jake, we have finally arrived and what comes next excites us. 
And so in Matthew chapter 26, we have been looking at all that is going on. Jesus had instituted the Last Supper. Jesus had talked about the Passover with His disciples. We saw how Judas had betrayed the Lord, how the anointing at Bethany. We've been looking at all of this as Jesus makes His way to the cross. But tonight, if you would, out of reverence to the reading of God's Word, if you are able, go to verse 31, and we're going to read verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Pray with me. Father, tonight I come asking for your forgiveness, your mercy and grace. Lord, I am unable to do the task that you have called me to do if you are not here and you are not working. So Father, I pray that you would not leave me here. Lord, I pray that you would speak, that you would work, that you would move. God, that you would do what only you can do in the lives of your people. And so Father, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you remember what has been going on here and all that we're looking forward to, and then Jesus literally stops them and says, and by the way, you are all going to be unfaithful. Now, if someone was to walk up to you and say, hey, I know you've been faithfully following the Lord for three years, or hey, I know you've been faithful, but today you are going to make the biggest mistake of your life. Most of us have said, oh, that couldn't happen to me. You've probably heard gossip about other people and said, I saw that coming. That could never happen to us. I hear it from people in church all the time. Well, you know that church down the street, it could never happen to us. That couple who thought their marriage was untouchable says we never thought it could happen to us. That family who is going through a trying time says it could never happen to us. Maybe you find yourself in a new stage in life. Maybe you've lost a job, lost a loved one. And the question of what comes next terrifies you. But tonight I want to show you three things I hope that will help you about what comes next. The first is this, if you're taking notes. Jesus speaks to them about their weak moment. Jesus speaks to them about their weak moment. Look there in verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. There are two ways to look at this tonight. One, you and I can look at this as a very discouraging, a very upsetting event that these men are going to betray the Lord. And it is. We know that the disciples running from Jesus is a heartbreaking thing. But I also want to encourage you tonight because Jesus knew they were going to fail and still loved them anyway. Jesus knew they were going to fail, but did not kick them out of the disciples' club. 
He didn't say, you're going to betray me and I will have nothing to do with you. He teaches them here that God knows your mistakes. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failures. And the things that Satan keeps bringing up to you about your past, about your decisions that are keeping you from being who God wants you to know, you need to know that God saw them, God knew them, God died for you, and God can be with you through them. And so many times we get into a place where I can't serve God because of my past. Or I can't serve God because of my my mistakes. I I can't be used for God because I don't have these talents or abilities. I've got too many weaknesses. But yet Jesus knew their weaknesses and walked with them. Jesus knew their weaknesses and we'll look next week, invited them to the garden with Him. Jesus knew their weaknesses, but yet after the day of Pentecost, used these men to take the gospel to the world. And tonight I want you to know that, that Jesus knows your moments of weakness. Jesus knows the areas of your life that are the most vulnerable. Jesus knows the mistakes in your marriage and in your past. And tonight I am here to tell you that God loves you. That He died for you. That He will forgive you if you will repent and seek His face. It brings us great hope because we see an epic failure, but we see a wonderful example of the grace of God. That He knew us and loved us. And while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. And so tonight as Satan begins to try to convince you that you can't serve Him or that you shouldn't serve Him or that you shouldn't grow in your faith, that you shouldn't take that next step about what comes next, you need to be reminded that God knew it, God doesn't condone it, but if you will ask for forgiveness, He will forgive you. You say, well, Jake, that's easy on the big things, but usually what I have found is it's not the big things that keep me from serving God. It's the little things. It's the whispers. It's the little kind of, you know, I'd rather be swallowed by a shark than nibbled to death by a thousand minnows, right? And that's how it usually goes. Most of us know our big mistakes, our big failures, and we we come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, but it's the little stuff, right? I would, I would yet rather be yelled at, and we would have an argument, we would get over it, and move on. But boy, I hate to be nagged to death. Not by my wife, not by, no, so I'm not talking about her, but just everything else. Just every other situation. And it can cause us doubt. It can cause us fear. It can cause us to be hindered from what God wants us to do. Zechariah chapter 13 is where Jesus is quoting from in this passage of Scripture. And we see this because we recognize something, that God's Word is true. And God had a purpose and a plan even in their failure, even in their mistakes. Zechariah chapter 13 starting in verse 7 said, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, I will answer them, I will say, 
This is my people. And each one will say, The Lord is my God. He is predicting that the Messiah would be struck. The disciples would flee. But yet the Jewish people would turn. That there would be destruction and judgment brought upon them. But they would still be His people. And even though the Jews had rejected Him, they were going to deny Him that God was not done with them. And we read from the book of Revelation, there is coming a day when the Jewish people will experience a great revival. They will experience a coming to Jesus. And God will keep them for Himself. And so what we see here is, even though the Savior had to be struck, the people had to be fleeing, that God was not done with Israel, just like God is not done with you. And so many times, and I don't think I can stress this enough tonight, we are either so prideful in our sin that we won't acknowledge it, or we are so guilty in our sin that we cannot accept that God can forgive us. And what we see here is that God is not done with you, no matter how far you feel that you have fallen, no matter how low you feel that you are, God knew it and can use you in it. Second thing I want to show you tonight is we see Peter's pride coming out. And tonight I really thought about just titling that people's pride, but I really want to show you this tonight in verse 33. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I want to show you how pride can cause you to stumble. It starts here in the very beginning of this and says, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made. Peter begins to say, Look around, Lord. Peter's probably thinking, Even all these yo-yos, right? These, these other guys, he begins to compare himself to other people. And how guilty can we be of that? Well, you know, I've been teaching Sunday school longer than they have. Or I've been a member of this church longer than they have. Or I can recite all my books of the Bible and they can't. We begin to compare ourselves to other people. And when that happens, this is what occurs. Well, my mistakes cannot be as bad as theirs. My failures are never going to be as bad as theirs. And what we really do is convince ourselves that as long as I stumble, but I, as long as I don't stumble as bad as someone else, I'm fine. Now our church might not be doing great, but boy, we're not near as bad as that church across the street. Or man, those sermons might not be the best in the world, but they're sure not as bad as that guy's. We begin to compare ourselves and we set ourselves up for failure. Because we do not model our lives on other people. We follow Jesus. I cannot begin to tell you how many times growing up in different church settings I would hear someone say, well, well, so-and-so does it, so it's got to be okay. Well, so-and-so goes there, so-and-so watches that, so-and-so thinks this. And naturally the parent answer is, if everybody was jumping off a building, would you follow what we see here is we're to follow Jesus. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There is never a time in my life when I can look around at someone else and say, you know what, I got a temper, but it's not as bad as theirs. 
Or boy, I, got, I tell you what, I got a foul mouth, but it's not as bad as theirs. Uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I, I would serve more, but I serve more than they. Well, I, you know, I don't come to church very often, but I, I come more often than they do. And friends, we are so guilty of that. And what we begin to do is we begin to elevate ourselves. We begin to put ourselves on a pedestal. He goes on and says, made to stumble because of you. Now he is bold and prideful about the why. He is saying, Jesus, I have been with you. I have seen you. I have been there with you. I would have said, Peter, don't you remember what it was like to be on the water and begin to sink? You know, the past should have reminded him that he had failures, that he had weaknesses. But friends, be very careful that you and I do not become so prideful about what God has done for us in the past that we don't think we can fail today. Churches are full all over America of that testimony. God did something then. Every Sunday I go to Heritage Woods and preach that in the afternoon, uh, do some singing, and, and, uh, and every time I listen to people say, well, I can remember in 1957, that church was full. I don't mean full, full. I mean busting at the seams full. People sitting in the floor, chairs down the aisle. Man, there were pictures back there from the 50s with hundreds and hundreds of people. And now we run 10. We run 12. And what has happened is they are thinking about what God did do and not what God will do. What God is doing. And what we see here is He is boasting in the Lord, but His boasting is prideful. He goes on to say, I will never be made to stumble. He reiterates this, that this cannot happen to me. I can't be tripped up. I can't fall. I can't fail. And friends, tonight I want you to know something, that if that's where you are at as a believer, Satan has you where he wants you. He has convinced you that you are above sin above the struggle of sin. The Bible tells us that for him who says he has no sin, the truth of God is not in him. But how often do we not say it, but yet we live it? Isaiah, the 23rd chapter, verse 9, says it like this, The Lord of hosts has purposed it to bring to dishonor the pride of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of earth. I don't want you to miss that. Anything that is set up to bring glory to something other than Jesus will fail. Anything that is set up in my life that is more honorable in my mind than the things of God, look what he says there. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to bring to dishonor the pride of all glory, to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. What he is saying is nothing can stand against the Lord and His purposes. There is not one person on this earth who can say, I am good enough, I am honorable enough, I am successful enough, I can do this on my own. I do not need God. Because what he says is, I will tear it down. And friends, let's be honest. As a nation, as a community, 
and even as a church, we can only want God when we need something. As long as things are good, we'll just keep making it on our own. Long as attendance is good, offerings are good, long as a few people are being saved, the sermons aren't too long, the music's not too bad, everything's fine. Same way about a, a nation. As long as gas prices are fairly low, retirement accounts are up, nobody's bothering me too much, everything's fine. But where is the desire and hunger for the things of God? Where is like David wrote in Psalm 63, that I thirst for you, God? like in a dry and thirsty land. God, I need You. Lord, I want You to do more in my life. God, I want You to do more in my marriage. Lord, I want You to do more through Your church. God, I'm not content with what You've given me. God, I am thankful, but I want to see You do more for Your glory. Where is that hunger in the church that says, we want to see lost people saved. We want to see people reached. Lives changed. Where is that desire to say, God, I know that You've been good to us, but God, we want to see more. Not because of who we are, but because of who You are. Now I knew it would be quiet. You wouldn't think it would be any quieter than the Sunday morning sermons we've been having. But all of us are guilty. All of us can be guilty of, I've got enough, I'm fine. I've served this church for so many decades, I'm entitled for a break. I've taught Sunday school for so many years, I'm entitled for a break. I've been suffering through your sermons on Sunday night for 11 years. Let me take some time off. Friends, tonight I ask you, what comes next? Nothing stays the same. No church remains the same. Churches are either growing or dying. Marriages are either strengthening or suffering. Children are either being brought up in the nurture and admonition of the world or they are slipping into things that they have no business being into. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 says it like this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. He says the things that the world celebrates being wise, being mighty, being wealthy. God says, don't you ever put your trust in that. Now, I have preached here long enough to know that there is one political party that I don't support, and I barely can support the other one. But there is nothing in the Bible that says they have to come and take what is yours. And so I do not believe it is a sin for God to bless you financially. I think if God has blessed you financially, praise the Lord. And, and you ought to give and to give generously and to use it for God's glory. But the moment that everything you have is based on what you have, God will humble you. I, I pray that you were wise. Trust me, if the people that I pastored were all wise, my job would be a whole lot easier. Some of you are just saying, wait a second, he's talking about us. It, it's the people that only come on Sunday morning. Don't worry about you. But we make foolish decisions. We trust in our own understanding even though the book of Proverbs tells us not to. We can boast in our own abilities. I'm strong. I'm healthy. That's one reason I'm so passionate about nursing homes and hospitals is because those people at one point were strong and healthy too. 
They were the ones working in vacation Bible school. They were the ones picking people up on the church van. They were the ones that were uh, doing the nursery and all those things, but yet their strength has failed them. And it's our job to remember them and to honor them. Because friends, where you are, I once was, where I am, you shall soon be. The Bible tells us that man is like grass that withers and the flower that fadeth, but the Word of God endureth forever. And so we must build our life on that, that we need Him. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now most of us would think Jesus has just called out Judas as his betrayer. He just told him exactly where he wants the final supper to be, the last supper. He's led them and told them so many things that they've said. Literally the book of John says, where can we go for truth other than you? And so you would think Jesus says it and repeats it and Peter agrees with it. But I want to show you in verse 35, the third and final thing tonight. Peter wasn't the only one who made this claim. I've been in church my whole life and I've heard this sermon preached over and over and over and over and over against Peter. And we look at Peter and say, I, you know, the rest of us wouldn't do that. The rest of us wouldn't be like that. But I want you to read all of verse 35 with me. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Now, I don't know if you've ever followed someone that said something stupid and agreed with him, but I have. I've heard someone say, well, that's what I think. And I said, well, that's what I think too. And then someone says something else. I'm like, no, I think I was wrong. What these men had heard was Peter making this claim. And they're like, well, we wouldn't either. I'm not going to betray you, Lord. I'm not going to betray you. I won't betray you. And you can just imagine them go through the line. Can you just imagine as they're standing here talking, I'm not going to deny the Lord. Are you going to deny the Lord? I'm not going to deny the Lord. Are you going to deny the Lord? I'm not going to deny the Lord. You say, Jake, how do you know that? Because we've seen that pattern. Do you remember when Mary anointed the Lord and there began a little discussion about why did, you, why, why did she do that? Why didn't she give it to the poor? And as they begin to whisper and talk, then Jesus, knowing what they were thinking and saying, what we see is this not was just a Peter issue. This was a people issue. Each and every one of us struggle with pride. Each and every one of us think more highly of ourselves spiritually on our own than we should. You see, tonight you need to believe a few things about your relationship with the Lord. You need to believe that your Father is the King of kings, Lord of lords. You need to believe that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, and He knows everything about you and loves you anyway. You need to know that and believe that. You need to know and believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross for your sins. He was buried. He arose. He's conquered sin and death and the grave. And one of these days, He's coming home and I'm going with Him to a place that He didn't have to, but yet prepared just for me with in mind. And I'm going to live with Him forever and ever and ever. And there is no sickness, no pain, no death, no suffering. I'm ready for it. 
I'm ready because there will be no need for this guy to preach in heaven because who wants to listen to me when they have him? And I'm just going to sit down and watch and see how you respond to him like you respond to us. I'm thinking this deadness will be a little bit gone. So we're sitting around the throne worshiping him forever and forever and forever and whatever it looks like, I'm ready. You ought to know those things, but you ought to never forget that without him, we are nothing. And without Him, we can do nothing. Tonight I want to ask you that question, what goes on here that can be explained as it's only God? Sunday school teachers, what can be explained about your class that can say, only God? What can be said about the worship and the preaching here that can be said, only God? Only God did that. Only God could do that. I want to be a, a part of a church that that's the normal. I don't know how that happened, but God did it. I, I know that person. Ain't no way they did it. God did that. I heard what the doctor said about that cancer. There's only one way that got fixed. God did it. I know how bad their marriage was. There's no answer other than God did it. I know what kind of scoundrel that guy is. I can't believe God sent her to him. That's a God thing. In every way. That's what I want our testimony to be. Not that it was a good sermon. Not that it was a good song. Not that we're friendly people. But that God's power and presence revolves and works and moves here. And in my life. That's what I want. That's what you should want. You shouldn't be satisfied with coming and sitting and listening. You should want to be a part of what God is doing. And we see here in this passage of Scripture, as I'm going to try to quickly end, even if I have to deny you, die with you, I will not deny you. You see, Peter's bold just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. He says, I won't betray you. He says, I'll even die for you. Now the Bible tells us that scarcely will a good man be died for. But yet Peter is saying, I'll die for you, Lord. What he's saying is, I am committed to you. I will follow you. I mean, the, Jesus literally told him that you have to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Peter says, that's where I'm at. And I want to see the other disciples, though, because how true is this? In a kid's classroom, you can begin by telling them something. And then after a while, someone else will believe it. Someone else will believe it. Someone else will believe it. And tonight what we see in this passage of Scripture is you can either be led by the crowd to honor God or you can be led by the crowd to dishonor God. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, says this in verse 11. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. That word for comfort means encourage. That word for edify means build one up. As a church, we can encourage each other. We can edify each other. We can come together and say, hey, I know things are hard right now, but God is with you. Hey, I know things are hard right now at home, but I can tell you God was with us when we were through that time. Hey, I want to thank you for serving the Lord. Hey, I want to thank you. I want to, we can encourage, we can edify, we can build each other up as a group. Someone should have piped up and said, I, Lord, I'm, I'm a wicked sinner. I would bail the first chance I got. 
Maybe someone would have said, hey, I, I was a tax collector. I'm all about, you know, I'm all about getting out of things before it gets bad. But also the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, these words, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now most of us read that and think, Yep, I teach my kids that all the time. Sure do. Yep, tell them not to hang out with bad people. I want you to see the significance of what went on with the disciples. These were not lost people. These were the people that were with Jesus the most. These were the people that should have known the most. These were the people who had seen more miracles. These were the people who of all that were there should have understood when Jesus isn't around, we don't get anything done. It's Jesus who fed the 5,000. It's Jesus who walked on the water. It's Jesus who healed the sick. It's Jesus who gave sight to the blind. It's Jesus who cast out demons. We've just got to be a part of it. But it's all Him. And what we see here is the people who should have known Him the best were led astray. And I say this to you, Sunday night crowd at Ten Mile Baptist Church. Be careful not to be led astray. You say, well, Jake, I know my Bible backwards, forwards, sideways, up and down. It happens in the weakest of moments. Don't lose your testimony. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose your desire. Don't let the little things in your spiritual life creep in that will lead you astray. You see, I just can't imagine what these disciples were thinking as they are in the upper room after the Lord's death, thinking He absolutely was right. We fled, we ran, we, we hid, we cowered. But I'm thankful that no matter what they thought about themselves, God had a purpose and a plan for them. You see, friends, as people, we see death. Jesus sees the resurrection. We see the betrayal. Jesus saw Pentecost. We see the problems in our world and in our community. Jesus knows what it's all going to be like when it's all made right. Jesus sees what your struggles will look like when the struggles are over. Jesus knows what the mountaintop will be like even though you're in the valley. You see, you have to believe that He has a purpose and a plan for your life. But I say it with all of this. Never forget where your hope is built. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 9 says this, And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. The greatest danger that I see this church facing is not biblical infidelity. I don't see that the greatest threat that this church faces is that we're going to become heretics. But the greatest threat I see for us is that we say, Lord, I would never deny You. Lord, I could never grow cold 
Lord, I could never grow complacent. Lord, I could never get to a point where it's time for me to coast rather than serve. We sang a song this afternoon at Heritage Woods. As you know, I'm a fan of the old songs, and it was, uh, where's Janice at? Stand on the firing line? What's, that? What's the title of that song? Keep on the firing line. I love that song. talks about serving the Lord and wearing the, the crown only if you've fought. And it's just a wonderful song about Christian servitude and being a soldier. And friends, we forgot that. We forgot that we're in a spiritual battle. We have forgot that we have an enemy that is trying to destroy us. And most of us are on autopilot. We got the cruise control on, we're rolling down the interstate, and there are no problems. But remember, the interstate is full of idiots that are texting and driving, Netflix and driving, eating and driving, reading and driving. Why anybody would want to read, period, let alone reading a car? Just wait till it's a movie, right? A good one. But friends, you need to know something. God has a great purpose for your life. But Satan will do all that he can to cause you to stumble. And tonight there's one person who is responsible in your life for responding to God. And that is you. I cannot put on the spiritual armor for you. Only you can put on the breastplate. Only you can put on the helmet. Only you can carry the sword. Only you can put on the belt. Only you can, only you in your response to Him. And tonight my charge to you is don't wake up six months from now and say, boy, I wish I'd have been on guard. I wish I'd have been prepared. I wish I would have really believed that what comes next could have been great for me and my family and not the alternative. So tonight I pray that you know the Lord. I pray that you have a relationship with Him. I pray tonight that you can say, Jake, I am closer to the Lord today. I'm reading my Bible more. I'm praying more. I'm soul winning more. I am on fire more today than ever before. But if friends, if you can't, tonight you can rededicate. Tonight you can recommit. And you can say, Lord, help me to be faithful to the very end. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Not my words, but yours. Lord, I thank you for your word that never returns void, that always accomplishes its purpose like the rain from heaven. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that it's found fertile ground. Lord, I pray that it's found good soil. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would revive us, restore us. Lord, tonight I pray that you would convict us from the areas that we have grown cold, the areas that we have taken for granted. And God, help us to believe that in a world that seems to hate you, in a nation that seems to abandon you, that God, you can use us for amazing things for your glory. God, help to remind us that we can reach the lost, that we can see the sick healed, that we can see the gates of Hades pushed back, no matter what the world tells us. Father, tonight I pray for that person that's in this building, in the youth, in the children that doesn't know you, that tonight would be that night that conviction would set in, they would respond to you. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.